the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's magic in the air when a gift is given. In this sense, the fifth commandment is the gift commandment. It's the giving commandment. It is the commandment that calls us to honor the basis of all good gifts in our family life, and thus, in a sense, our vertical life with our Father God. That is Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Mike's message today is entitled, Mothers Matter, and we do hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can find this message and many other messages online at reachingyourheart.com. Pastor Mike's message today was taken from last year's Mother's Day program, Mothers Matter. We'll bring you the first portion of this broadcast here today, and we do appreciate you listening. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, we need Jesus. We don't get to heaven without him, and we're so grateful that the first love that we felt, the first love that met us was a mother's love. So, Father, for all the mothers here who are the flowers, flowers are symbolic of who they are. In Scripture, flowers are symbolic of mothers and young ladies. So we are grateful for the flowers in our church, the flowers in our life. And, Father, for any broken heart, any wounded person here today, may they know that Jesus is the great mender of lives and make every heart whole, especially a mother's heart. In Jesus' name, amen. There's an old Irish verse of poetry about a mother. And it goes like this. There is but one and only one whose love will fail you never, one who lives from sun to sun with constant fond endeavor. There is but one and only one. On earth there is no other. In heaven a noble work was done when God gave us a mother. Can I hear a few amens to that? Man, they captured it in that verse. Every day I come home and there standing against the wall in my living room is a tall picture of my beautiful mother when she was a young woman. I never realized how beautiful she was as a young girl. That picture is like three by four in my house. It's prominent in my living room. I enjoy looking at my mother. Why? Because I'm going to see her in the resurrection. She was so beautiful in the spring of life. My mother walked with God. My mother had schizophrenia. And she emerged from it ten years before she died, enough to where it wasn't haunting her. And the smiles settled in. And the joy of spring came back in the winter of her life. They remind me of the relationships that matter most in my life. She started out in the spring full of life, love, and vigor. She died in the winter when love was all she had of spring, and yet it was more ripe than before. I resonate with the poem I just read. I'm going to read it again. There is but one and only one 
whose love will fail you never, one who lives from sun to sun with constant fond endeavor. There is but one and only one. On earth there is no other. In heaven a noble work was done when God gave us a mother. I confess that is true in my life. What she did for me was profound. To struggle with a prayer life in the middle of your mental illness is huge. I can remember going to public school on a daily basis and I would walk a mile and a half and my mother in her awkward way, would open the door and would pray for me loudly as I went all the way down the road to public school. I mean, it could be embarrassing, and it was. I said, Mom, you're too loud. She'd pray something like this. Oh, Lord in heaven, save Michael. Make sure Michael is okay today. And she'd do that for all her kids. And people say, oh, how crazy that was. I'll tell you to this day, those prayers have been embedded in my life I feel a comfort in praying for people, whether it's awkward or not, because of my mother's example in my life. It's just a huge thing for me. The fifth commandment, that's where I want to zero in today. The fifth commandment is the Torah commandment, because the number five is the number for the law of Moses, which is comprised of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The Hebrews called it the law of Moses, the Torah of Moses. The Hebrew word Torah means law or instruction, and we all need law and instruction, don't we? I need wise counsel in my life. And so the fifth commandment is the wisdom commandment. The fifth commandment is the key to all the commandments that follow it, that affect our lives with others, just as the Sabbath is the key to all the commandments that precede it, that directly affect our relationship with God. These most two important commandments are sandwiched in the middle. They affect the whole of the ten. The Sabbath and the fifth commandment are glued together as the twin institutions that we had in Eden that preserve our relationship to God and others for all time. So we must concentrate on the fifth commandment, the one that is our concern this morning. Paul says that the fifth commandment is the first commandment with a promise in it. Now there are elements of promise in the second, but this is the clear promise that is bouncing out and shouting volumes in the fifth is also framed in the positive as God assumes that we will want to keep the fifth commandment because of the rich rewards found within it. The others will say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. One says, remember, this one says honor because it is ripe with promise and meaning. It is drawing us to the positive nature of the fifth commandment. Exodus 20 verse 12, let's look at it. It says here, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God gives you. How many of you want to live a long life and be happy? Come on, every hand should go up in this place. Someone says, no, Pastor Mike, I want to be miserable and live short. No, no one says that. We want to live long and be happy. The fifth commandment is the key to it. It's the commandment with a promise rooted in it. The fifth commandment is the first commandment that gives us the bold promise of the good earth. And eventually the new earth that will never end. Eternal life requires the earth. We can't live unless we're on a ball called earth and we have a home and it's here. And so God says here will be yours if you keep the fifth commandment. It is the first commandment where God gives us something tangible in his law as a gift. Now at Christmas, I like gifts. In fact, I like gifts when it's not Christmas. That's not a hint. But I like giving gifts. There's magic in the air when a gift is given. In this sense, the fifth commandment is the gift commandment. It's the giving commandment. It is the commandment that calls us to honor the basis of all good gifts in our family life, and thus, in a sense, our vertical life with our Father God. It reminds us that everyone who is born into this world is a gift at first from someone else's love and heart that gave with no hope of return, ultimately, God's gift transfused through human love. 
The fifth commandment starts with your father, but it ends with your mother. Honor your father. And what's the next expression in the commandment? And your mother. The word honor in Hebrew means to be heavy or to put weight into something, to lean on it. When you put weight into something, you lean on it. This word can mean to give glory to. It has that connotation. In the Hebrew, you rely on it. You put weight. You put your significance onto it. The Hebrew word for honor is often used for the Shekinah glory of God that dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant. The kavod, the glory, is the same root word for honor. And so honor is derived from the light of God's love for all of us. We can't honor anyone unless God's light is shining in our lives. That's the right kind of honor. When you honor your father, you must first honor God as your father because God is the ultimate parent of us all. Now, we have a mother in Scripture. It's not God. The Bible says Jerusalem above is our mother and she is free in Galatians 4.26. There was a pre-existent civilization what I call a class five civilization, an intergalactic cosmic order that terraformed this planet or observed it being terraformed by the omniscient Jesus Christ, the preexistent Christ. As God the Father directed the course of the creation of our planet, there was a civilization involved in it. And the book of Job says the sons of God, the morning stars, sang for joy at the dawn of time. Paul would simply say, Jerusalem above is our mother and she is free. We are connected to a cosmic family. But the fifth commandment does not stop with the part that we're used to, honor your father. It goes to the part we must emphasize today on Mother's Day. The fifth commandment doesn't stop there. It reads, honor your father and your mother. What does this expression, and your mother, mean? It means mom is not optional. It's not optional. She's not optional to God. She should not be optional to the church. She shouldn't be optional in our family life. And your mother is shouting out volumes in the fifth commandment. It means your mother cannot be left out of the honoring business in your life if you are to be blessed by God. If you want a blessing from God, you better honor also your mother, thus and your mother. These three words, and your mother, are not disposable or an afterthought in the fifth commandment. That is the Torah commandment in the ten. Because they are deliberate words that should not be forgotten. And your mother. And your mother means that in the eyes of God, every mother matters a whole lot to him. And so they should to us. Am I right? Okay, that's what the Bible's teaching in the fifth commandment. Not every human being has an earthly father. You say, wait, Pastor Mike, how's that? Well, it's true. Adam and Jesus were the exceptions. But every human being besides Adam has a mother. So Adam and Jesus had no earthly father. Adam had no mother or father of the flesh. But guess what? Jesus had a mother. That's the difference between Jesus and Adam. The Gospel of Luke tells us that Adam's father was God. People thought Joseph was Jesus' father, but like Adam, Jesus' father was really God, but in a far more profound way than Adam. But unlike Adam, Jesus did indeed have a human mother, as I've emphasized here. I mean, think about that. The Savior of the world, the second Adam, had a mother. God could have left her out and just delivered him to the human race, couldn't he? He could have done it without Mary. He did it that way with Adam. But he chose to give us the Savior of the world through a mother. Because a mother matters. A mother matters to Jesus. He had an adopted father. Yes, Joseph was important. But Mary really mattered. 
The human link of Jesus Christ to the world is through his mother Mary. Her name means my affliction or my bitterness. And because of Mary, Jesus is our brother. It was hard for Mary to raise the Savior of the world. The ultimate blessing for the human race in Genesis 3.15, before Adam and Eve left Eden, is the promise of the seed of the woman, the seed of the mother, that would give us the Messiah, and thereby he would crush the head of the serpent. We need a mother, and mother matters. Matthew 13.55, take your Bibles and turn with me there. Here's a question that was asked in Jesus' ministry. Is not this the carpenter's son? And if we were to read that question honestly and answer it honestly, we would say no. He's not the carpenter's son. He's the son of God, adopted by Joseph. But the next phrase says, is not his mother called Mary? And we would have to say, yes, Mary is his mother. And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, half-brothers, but not full brothers, because God is father. Jesus Christ, the God-man, grew up in submission, honoring his earthly mother, Christ was the wise son who honored his mother as Solomon exhorted every wise son to do. Look at Proverbs 10 verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a glad father. I say amen to that. But a foolish son is a sorrow to his what? To his mother. Paradoxically, Jesus was the wise son. But in his death on the cross, his suffering brought sorrow to his mother. Here's where the proverb breaks down. Christ, the wisest man who ever lived, broke his mother's heart in dying for the world. In Luke 2.35, at Jesus' baby dedication, the prophet Simeon told Mary with certainty that a sword would pierce your soul also. When a mother loses a child, that is without a doubt the deepest wound a mother can feel, bar none. When a mother loses her child, she is broken. Cruel Roman soldiers drove sharp nails into Jesus' feet and hands, and every one of those sharp nails wounded Jesus' mother at the cross. Don't miss that in the story. In the Gospel of John, Jesus' mother is prominent for him in his affection at the cross. He was absorbed with his mother as he's dying for the sins of the world. Christ devoted 30 years of life on earth to his father, his adopted father, and his mother. He was a submissive son, a wise son, a good son. But when he was dying on the cross, he had a lot to think about from Adam to the end. The Bible says he was carrying all our sins into him. The sin bearer, Lot was going through his mind. He no doubt started with Adam and Eve and everything that was in Adam's skull found its way in his skull. Christ was crucified at Golgotha, the hill of the skull. And for the early Christians, that meant Adam's skull. Somehow they believed, based on ancient tradition that Adam's skull had been buried right outside of Mount Moriah. And so here is Christ in the place of Adam's skull going through Adam's mind, his experience, his sin, and every child of Adam from Adam to the end. In fact, Christ died near the altar of the red heifer, which in Hebrew is the Adam heifer. Jesus took into his mind every human heart and mind. He became the collective consciousness of the human race. And from Adam to the end, he sucked you and me in to him so that we were in Christ at the cross of Calvary. He left no one out of his skull. That is his heart, his deepest heart, when he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Now, I don't know when Mary's life came up in Jesus' head. He was going through them all. His mother's life came up in his head. Christ died for his mother, his human mother. 
We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Mary, like us, was born a sinner by nature. She sinned by choice too. And Jesus died for Mary just like you and me. Profound. He did not leave his mother out of the atonement. She was in his mind at that level and the family level. Every sin his mother committed was rifling through his head like everyone else. She had her place in that holy moment of expiation. I think she knew it. I think she understood what was going on. She was prepared by the scriptures to understand that her son would have a special death that would save us all. And as she came to the cross, I believe she held onto his feet with her mother's hands, holding the cross, bathing those feet. She had blood on her hands that day. No doubt she kissed her little baby boy's feet at the cross. She remembered her teenage pregnancy that was God's fault and her privilege in the end that it had happened. She remembered how the evil king Herod tried to kill her little boy and how many mothers lost their children in Bethlehem as she fled to safety to Egypt with Jesus, her little boy. He survived the ordeal. She remembered the pyramids, the Nile River, and raising Jesus in a foreign land, the land of the pharaohs, the land of Joseph, only to come home when the angel said, you can come home. And when they came to Nazareth, her little boy was so different than the boys of that awful place. She knew the maxim that went out, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus came from Nazareth, and so did she. They would pick on her little boy because he was kind. They would make fun of Jesus because he cared. They would beat him up because he was a compassionate little boy. And that is what they were doing that day as he hung on the cross. She was reliving his childhood, the hard childhood of raising a son different than any other children of the world. Every one of those childhood taunts hurt her because she knew that he was special. And now they were taunting him again at the cross. Not special in the ordinary way, though. He was special for all mothers. He was the special son. Special in God's way because her boy was the Savior. And so she held his feet like only a mother can, and she soothed them with her tears and kissed them like newborn feet at the cross. Never forget that we have the paradigm of a mother in Mary. She is the ultimate example of a mother from Adam to the end. Jesus did not forget his mother on the cross of Calvary because Jesus remembered the Torah commandment, the fifth commandment. Honor your father, and what does it say? And your mother, because your mother matters to God. Sometimes movies portray Mary as weak. I've watched a few of these passion narratives on film. You see Mary is weak, broken at the cross, in a collapsed state of mind and heart because she cannot bear to see her son suffering, so she's writhing on the ground. That's nonsense. That is the picture of a weak mother. That is Hollywood's image of what a mother is, but not the Jesus mother we see in Scripture at the cross. Mary was not lying on the ground at the cross, quivering out of fear like a wilted orchid. No, not at all. 
Mary was standing strong, giving Jesus all the support she could till she couldn't support him anymore. She was the iron mother. She was the strong mother. She had endured stuff that no one had endured. And there she was at the cross. Do not let a movie frame the picture of Mary for you. Let the Gospel of John show you the truth about Jesus' mother that day. Turn to John 19.25. So the soldiers did this. And here's the phrase, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. A lot of Marys. Mary means my affliction. A lot of Marys there, but the first in the list, the one who is standing first, not lying down, not collapsed, not pulverized, but standing at the cross is Mary. Mary is the model mother who would not abandon her adult son even when he was dying on the cross. She is the true grit mother who won't let go of her son, who will stand and support him and help him save us all on the cross of Calvary. We know Jesus suffered for Mary like he did for every person in the human race. Her sins were dealt with on that cross also. And like you and me, she has no right to righteousness without the cross of Christ. But she stood at the cross to support her son to get the job done to save us from our sins. Never forget the Bible picture of Mary. Now look at verse 26. When Jesus saw his mother, he couldn't ignore this. When he saw his mother, the disciple whom he loved standing near, that's John, that's the one who wrote the gospel, He said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he said, son, behold your mother. Jesus had a hard time seeing anything on the cross. And there he put his best disciple, his closest friend, together with his mother. He had so much to attend to that day as he shed tears for the human race. One by one, you and me in the list. The Bible says Jesus saw his mother. He had regard for her. He cared for her. He expressed his love for her. He would not leave her to fend for herself in the sorrows of his own death. He would not leave her to stand there without putting her together with someone that would carry her for the rest of her life. Every mother deserves to have a good son who will take care of her in her old age. Mary's son was dying for the world, and that meant Mary would soon die because her son was dying that day. You break a mother's heart like that, she doesn't live long. Something has to happen. An intervention has to occur in her place for her to move on. When Jesus stopped the funeral procession for the widow's son of Nain, Jesus sent that resurrected boy back home, dancing all the way with his very happy mother with him. That was the miracle in the Gospel of Luke. The widow's son is resurrected. She can live. She will not fall into poverty. She goes home dancing with her son. She no doubt lived a long life because Jesus brought her son back to life for her. At the cross, no such hope comforted Mary. She's not the widow of Nain at the cross. She is just the widow without a son, the special son, the Savior's son. She is losing her baby boy at the cross. Verse 27, Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. This is, I think, one of the greatest little pictures in the Gospel of John. We often think that the Gospel of John is just concerned with salvation, sin and evil, and all that, miracles. This is a miracle. What happens here is profound. We live in broken lives. We live in broken relationships. Christ is putting people together who are broken. That he can do in our lives also. I don't know if John had a mother or not. I don't know. 
I know he had one. But I don't know if she was there. I think she was one of the Marys there. I'm not sure. I'm not an expert in John. But yeah, he had a mother. But here, this is something different. From that day on, Mary became John's mother. So how many mothers did John have? Two. Because of Jesus' love, it's possible in life to adopt a mother into your life. Did you hear me? It's possible to adopt a mother into your life. I have adopted a mother into my life who should not be my mother at all were it not for God's grace and the life of my biological mother, me and her and our family. It hurts a lot for a mother when her husband leaves her. That's my mom's story. My mother raised us without my father. My father did not have depth of character as a young man. He was a narcissist. I mean, class B, personality disorder, narcissist. How do I know? I read his writings to my mother, his letters, which weren't love letters. They were narcissist letters. How do you break a person's heart and drive them to mental illness? My dad did it. My mother was an empath. Narcissists are attracted to empaths. And for some awful reason, it just devastated my mother. My mother was placed in a mental health clinic in Texas. Shock therapy was put on her, and she was wrecked by my father. My father left my mother. My father hurt my mother. My father devastated my mother. I've at times had men call me on the phone when they're getting ready to divorce their wives, and they'll say something like this to me. They'll say, Pastor Mike, you know, my wife no longer meets my needs. You ever hear some kind of nonsense like that? I said, Pastor Mike, I wish that my wife would love me more. And I say, wait a second. And I don't mean this to be condescending. I mean this because a man needs a man to talk to them when that nonsense is coming across. I said, do you realize that God didn't put your wife on earth to meet all your needs? God put you on earth to protect and care for your wife. You got it backwards. Whether your wife is Agatha Hagatha this week or this month, your wife is your wife. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for the first portion of Mother's Matter. Make sure you tune in next time we get together for the conclusion of this broadcast. And thanks for listening today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening. And we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.